All right, well, uh, hey, good morning. Um, how are we doing here at the Story Church's Museum District Campus? Pretty good, awesome. Um, hey, and I also want to welcome my family over at the Timber Grove Campus and also those of you that are joining us online. Um, so typically here at the Museum District Campus, I'm not the one welcoming or teaching. Um, Pastor Eric and Pastor Gio, they are out celebrating their 24th wedding anniversary today. So that's incredible. And so they've pulled me over from the Timber Grove Campus where I am every Sunday. And so if we haven't met, whether you're at Timber Grove or here, my name's Cale, and I pastor out at our Timber Grove campus. So if you're not familiar with our church, we are one church in two locations. So we are here in the Museum District campus, soon to be River Oaks campus, and then we are also out at 8200 Washington Avenue out of the Timber Grove campus where we're every Sunday at 10 a.m. We're united, worshiping together by one mission, to inspire non-religious people to follow Jesus. So it has been a privilege to pastor over at Timber Grove. And so I was thinking on the way here, we are actually the oldest campus at the Story Church. We are two and a half years old. And so we are wise beyond our years. Um, so if you need anything. Uh, so it's been a privilege to pastor over at the Timber Grove campus. But also, if you don't know me, um, the greatest privilege that I have is to be the husband to my wife, Kim, and to be a dad to our two little rugrats. I think we have them right there. Kim, she does everything else at the Timber Grove campus. And then those are my uh, two little guys. That's Becca. That's my daughter. She's four. That's Drew. He's two. And so that is me, uh, pastor of Timber Grove campus and husband of Kim, dad of those two. But that's not what I came here to talk about. Didn't come here to talk about me. I came here with a specific purpose, and that is to talk about the enemy. Pastor Eric conveniently left <laughs> this week and gave Pastor Kale the, uh, the uh, privilege to preach on the enemy, the Satan, the devil. And so that's what we're going to be doing for the next four weeks. Um, so we're starting a new series of messages today. It is called Know Your Enemy. And so it's a four-week crash course in who the enemy is. And so what we want to do with this series is not only, not only give you knowledge about who the enemy is and about what he wants to do and his plan and his purpose for your life, which he has one, but it's also to give you some practical and strategic outworkings, how we can fight against the gates of hell. It's to open our eyes of the spiritual reality of this battle, of this warfare that we're in. Look, the spiritual warfare is real, and the first principle in warfare is to know your enemy. So we must know our enemy if we want to engage in this battle to win this war. And so what I fear is that even culturally, is that we have reduced the devil, the enemy, to a fairy tale. We've reduced him to some, uh, some symbol or even some character of the best taco place in Houston, Texas, Torchy's Tacos, hands down the best, but we've reduced him to like this mythological feature, uh, figure that he's a symbol. And, and I fear that, actually, I, I, would, I would say that that's his greatest work is because there is not a more powerful enemy than one that's there, but you don't know is there, that you don't think is there. And so here's what I want to do today. I just want to talk about the origin of Satan. I want to talk about who he is, and I just want to talk about five biblical truths about Satan. So you have your, your study guides here. You also have them over at Timber Grove online. You can follow as well. But if, if you don't hear me say anything today, I want you to hear this first point because it is the most important one. 
It's the most important. It's going to be the foundation for, for which we build this message on, but even this entire series on. And the first one, the most important biblical truth about Satan is that he's real. He's real. This might not be surprising to some of you, but the statistics say that this is surprising to a lot of you. There was a, a 2021 survey that was done, and it polled the entire American population, or not the entire American population, but, but basically people that are of faith, um, skeptics, unbelievers, so just anyone, they, they polled. And this is what that survey said. It's, it's, it's an interesting survey. And so the, the first poll said that 51% of Americans believe in the biblical view of God. 51%. That is a pretty major decline from decades ago. But 51%? It's not bad? We're hanging in there? Got over half? And then the next poll is what it said, that 56% of Americans believe in Satan. And so this is how my mind works. I don't know how, how your mind works, but my mind works. Okay, 51% of Americans, they believe in the biblical view of God. So 51% Christians believe in God, believe in Satan, and then 5% worship Satan or are Satanists. And, and so I, I learned this week that, that Satanists, they worship Satan because he was the first protester against the patriarchy or against God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so my mind goes, okay, 51% of Christians and then 5% of Satanists, 56%. That makes sense. And then the next stat floored me. Floored me. Said that 40% of Christians strongly agreed that Satan is not a living being, but is a symbol of evil. 40% of Christians have a biblical view of God, but not a biblical view of Satan. It tells me a lot. And, and among many other things, you know what this tells me? Is that we have to do a better job. Like uh, the church must do a better job. Pastors must do a better job in talking about the enemy. Statistics say that we, we just don't talk about him enough. And look, as a, as a Christian, as a pastor, the thing that I love to do the most is talk about Jesus. Love it. The message of Jesus, the life that we find in Jesus Christ who lived, died, rose again. We can find freedom and life in him. He has changed and transformed and renewed my life. Like I was blind, now I see. I was dead, now I'm alive. Like he, I was lost, now I'm found. He has, he has transformed me. I love talking about the reality of Jesus, but far too often I don't talk enough about the reality of Satan. I just don't. I love, we love to talk about that Jesus is a friend to sinners. That is true. But we also have an enemy, and that's Satan. So we just have to talk about it more. And we have to talk about it more because Scripture talks about it all the time. Four, 54 different times in Scripture, there is a mention of the enemy, the Satan, the devil, he is a real being with real names. Here, here are the different names that Scripture describes the enemy. Uh, the enemy, the destroyer, the tempter, the deceiver, the Satan, the devil, the adversary, the prince of the power of the air, the father of lies. These are real names for a real being. Not only does Scripture speak about Satan, Satan has a speaking part in Scripture. From the beginning to the end, Jesus, right before his public ministry, 
He was led out into the wilderness, fasted for 40 days, for 40 nights, and had a real conversation with a real being. Satan's first word to Jesus, if you are the son of God, if you are the son of God. And so he has a speaking part. He is a real being. He is real. And so there are real consequences if we don't understand the reality of Satan. And there are some errors that we can make. And I think there are two errors that we make when it comes to the reality of Satan. And it's either we dismiss him entirely or it's that we give him too much credit, too much credence, too much power. And C.S. Lewis, he puts it much better than I ever could. C.S. Lewis, he's uh, one of my favorite authors and theologians. This is what he says. He says, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence, and the other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. So on, on one end, it's to it's to have an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. And I think when we think of the devil or we think of demons, we think of an angel on one shoulder and demons on the other or God and the devil and they're whispering back and forth to us. Well, that's true. There is good and there is evil. What is wrong about that, that we picture, is that they're the same size. Like we picture that, that Satan is the evil yin to God's holy yang and, and hear this, Satan is not the equal opposite to God. He's not. God is far more good than Satan is evil. And so when we give, if we have an unhealthy, excessive interest, if we give him too much credit, what that will do to us is it will just, it will bind us in fear. Make us afraid. And so that's one bent. And then the other bent is that we just dismiss him altogether. So we just say he's not real. And what that does is that will imprison us with invisible handcuffs that we don't even know. And so there are two errors, and it's important to know which bent you have, whether you're, you're too, too, giving the enemy too much credit or if you just dismiss him altogether. It's important. So we have to know the devil is real. So the first thing is that he's real. And the second thing, he's real because he was created by God. God created him. And the question uh, I would say that, that's really on my mind when this point comes up, or probably on some of your minds too, is why in the world would God create the devil? Like, why would God create an evil being? Why would God create sin and pain and suffering? Like, why would God, who is good, create a real being who is evil? It's a good question. And the answer is that God created Satan good. In fact, Scripture would say that God created him beautiful and perfect. And so this is what Scripture says. So this is uh, Ezekiel 28. So this is an Old Testament prophet. And so what's important to understand when we, when we look through the Old Testament, specifically the prophets, so prophets were the mouthpiece of God. They spoke the truth of God to the people of God. And so prophets, the truth of God often went, um, people didn't like it. And so they were outcast, they were persecuted, they were killed. And so the prophet Ezekiel, God is speaking through him. And, and initially in chapter 28, he's speaking to a real person, the prince of Tyre, who was an evil, corrupt politician. 
And there's a shift in chapter 28 to where God, he goes from speaking to a person to speaking to the power behind the person. So he goes from speaking to the prince of Tyre to speaking to the devil himself. And so this is Ezekiel 28. This is what the sovereign Lord says. You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone adorned you. You were anointed as a guardian cherub, for so I ordained you. If you're you're familiar with scripture, you may be familiar with cherubim and seraphim. Those are powerful angelic beings. That's who Satan was created as, anointed, ordained. You were on the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created. He was created good. And not only was he created good, but he was created with a job to do in heaven. He was a guardian cherub. He was a protector. He guarded the throne and the temple of God. It's a pretty important job. Not only that, he had another job. He was the leader of the worship in heaven. He's a worship leader. Satan. He was good until wickedness was found in him. And this is the very next verse. In Ezekiel, it says, till wickedness was found in you. Through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned. So so why is it so important for us to understand that God created Satan good? God is good and everything he creates is good. Angelic beings, us, some things are very good. And in order to create something good, there has to be a freedom of choice. So there's free will. And Satan made the dumbest choice in eternity. What he did was instead of outwardly focusing and worshiping and praising and gazing on the beauty of God, what he did was he turned inward. He turned inward and sin and wickedness and evil and pride was born in his heart. It was born because he just looked inward. And this is what the prophet Isaiah, so another prophet who spoke the words of God, this is what he says, how sin affected the heart of the devil. This is Isaiah 14. Said, you said in your heart. Now listen, listen to what the devil said in his heart. I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the Mount of Assembly, on the utmost heights of Mount Zaphon. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. Do you hear it? I will, I will, five times. It's I will. His arrogance in following his will over God's will was the beginning of his end. It was the beginning of it. And look, if we don't understand this, then we will be doomed to repeat it. Y'all took eighth grade history, maybe? What I learned is that if we don't learn from history, we will be doomed to repeat it. It's the same thing here. If we don't learn from Satan's choice, we will be doomed to repeat it. And every time you follow your will and your way, over God's will and his way. Every time you say, hey, look, I know what this thing says, but I know better. 
Every time that you say, hey, I know the commands of God, but I think that I know, I think that I am smarter than God. Every time you do that, technically, it's a satanic mentality and mindset. It's a lot. Satan, he doesn't just want you to do his will. He wants you to follow yours. It's a lot harder to convince us to do Satan's will. It's a lot easier for him to convince us to just do your own. And I think so often we have this picture that if we follow Satan's will, then it's going to be this outward expression, and we're going to look like um, Sam Smith at the Grammys. Do y'all, do y'all remember that? And if you're over 35, then you remember Ozzy Osbourne um, biting a head off a bat. Like, that's what we think. We're like, hey, I'm not doing that, so I must not be following Satan's will. But the insidious thing about it is that when we follow our will and our ways and we listen to what we want over what God wants and his will and his ways, we are following Satan's will. It's hard to to, to grasp that, but it's true. And so if we don't understand this, we will unwittingly follow our own ways and our own will to devastation and to destruction. It's just what'll happen. And so he's real, and he was created. Until wickedness, pride, evil was born in his heart, and sin became his craft, and Satan is really good at his craft. He's really good. So the third point is that he's crafty. And so in Genesis chapter three, this is the third chapter in the Bible, the very first thing that the devil says, he's in the Garden of Eden. You may have heard this verse before, but he's talking to Adam and Eve, and this is what chapter three, Genesis 3, 1 says. Now the serpent, who was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made, he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Did God really say? It's the first question that the enemy asked. Did God really say? He is still asking that question today. Did God really say he wants to sow seeds of doubt into us? Did God really say? And if we don't understand his strategy, if we don't understand his craftiness, then we will fall for it. We won't know how to combat it. And can I tell you how to combat that question, did God really say? It is opening up your Bible. The enemy hates when you open up your Bible. Hates it. The enemy hates when you join your first Bible study. The enemy hates when you memorize that Bible verse that pops up on your phone every day. Like the enemy hates that because the, how we combat, did God really say? Is I don't know what you're saying, but I know what this says. This says God loves me and he's for me. And Jesus died for the forgiveness of my sin. I know that to be true because of what the Bible says. And did God really say, look, the enemy, he is still asking that question today that's in the church and out of the church. Did God really say? And we'll be open to the attack. We'll be open to that same question if we don't understand that. It was the question that he posed to Adam and Eve in the garden, and that led to sin. And it's the same question he's posing today that leads people to sin. So we must understand he is crafty, he's smart, he's sneaky. And so not only is he crafty, 
but he has an army of demons that do his bidding. So fourth is he has an army. He is a highly organized war general of other fallen angels. This is Revelation 12. This is what the scripture says, that the great dragon was hurled down. That ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. He staged a heavenly coup. Do you remember what Isaiah said? He wanted to be like God. So he staged a heavenly coup and he fell with a third of the entirety of the angels. And so he fell. And look, the only thing that Satan can do, that the enemy can do, is mimic God. He's not like God. He's not equal to God, but he mimics him. And so he wants to mimic his rule and his reign. Our God ruling and reigning right now, forever. And the only thing that the enemy can do is mimic that. He's just this like janky version of God. And so the only thing he can do is mimic it. And so a third of the angels fell with him. And look, I was a finance major. And I know that if a third fell, then two-thirds are still with God, okay? Those who are for us outnumber those who are against us. But he has an army. We must be aware of that. And so the devil is real. He's crafty. He's created. He's got an army of demons. And he has an agenda. And his agenda is to kill you. This is what Jesus says in John 10.10. That's what he says about the thief, who is the devil. He says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And and what hit me this week as I was was rereading this and preparing for this message is that the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Only. That is his only agenda. That is his only mission for you and for me. You might know the story's mission. We say it hopefully every Sunday. The story's mission to inspire non-religious people to follow Jesus. We are laser focused on this mission. I do a lot of the premarital counseling here and I, I always task the couples to write a mission statement for their wedding, for their marriage. Know your mission, be laser focused on the mission. And the enemy is the same way. He is laser focused on his mission and his agenda It is only to steal your joy, to kill your faith, and to lead you on a path to devastation and destruction. So we must be on guard. We must know his agenda, because if we know his agenda, then we can know how to counter it. And so this is what Peter says in 1 Peter. He says, be alert and of sober mind, your enemy The devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Y'all be alert. Be on guard. Be of sober mind. The devil is prowling around and he only needs a crack in the door. He only needs a foothold. He doesn't need a wide open door. He just needs a crack so he can slither his way into your life. And look, he... There are a lot of cracks that we, can, that we can just crack open the door with. Look, the second drink. 
that lustful glance, that click on your phone, that, that, that ounce of self-righteousness saying, thank God I'm not like them. That, 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 uh, that, that thing, that greedy, insidious thought that when we get that paycheck, I don't need to give anything away. He just needs a crack. And he will slither his way into your life. And he's crafty with his agenda. And look, his agenda, it's not necessarily for you just to worship him. It's for you to not worship Jesus. It's to do the same thing that he does, is to turn your outward focus and worship and praise of Jesus and turn inward. Maybe that just means worshiping yourself or following your own will or your own way. But he just wants you to take your eyes off the only one who is worthy of worship and praise. That's his agenda. It's to distract you because if he can't completely deceive you, he just wants to distract you. And so he's real. He's created. He's crafty. He has an army and he has an agenda. Welcome to the story, church. It's a lot. It's a lot. And if... And if the story stopped there, then that would seem like, he would seem like an impossible enemy to defeat. He's a formidable foe, but the story doesn't stop there. This is what Jesus says, that that nothing is impossible. So I just want you to, look, imagine Jesus saying this to you right now. Says he looked at them and he said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. With God, all things are possible. And because of Jesus, the enemy, the devil, he is desperate and he is defeated. He's desperate. He's grasping at straws. The only weapon that the devil has against you, against me, is to accuse you of your sin. That's it. It's to make accusations against you. He'll even try to make accusations to God against you. But here's the thing. Here is the beauty of the gospel of Jesus. Is that we are sinners. And we can look the enemy right in the eye and say, I am more of a sinner than you even know. Like, hey, you even forgot that sin 12 years ago. We are more sinful than even the devil even knows, but the beautiful thing about the gospel is that we are more forgiven than he can ever understand. The depth of the forgiveness of God is far greater than your sin, and he canceled it, and he paid it on the cross. This is what the Apostle Paul says in Colossians. He says, he forgave us all our sins. That's Jesus forgave us all our sins having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. In Christ Jesus, the devil has no power over you. He has no accusation against you. The enemy is defeated, and he was made a public spectacle. That that wording, it means he was paraded around. 
The devil is like a dead man walking. He's grasping at straws. He's desperate. He's defeated. And so anytime the enemy, anytime he tells you you are unqualified to be a Christian because of your sin or because of your past, you look him in the eye and say, you are unqualified to accuse me of anything because of your future. Scripture tells us there is coming a day when the enemy, his demons, evil, pain, suffering, tears will be dead. Dead, dead. The lake of fire. He will be thrown in there. He is defeated. He is defeated. He is being defeated. And he will be defeated. And so, so Jesus, again, through his life, death, resurrection, he holds the keys of victory in his hands. And so this is a lot. Look, and, and if you're a skeptic and you're on the fence of faith, and you, look, and you're like, I just came here for the first time. This is pretty weird. I get it. Look, I get it. This is still weird to me. But just because something's weird doesn't mean it's not true. We believe in a supernatural God. There is a heaven. There is a hell. There is a God. There is an enemy. And our God is far greater. The encouragement, the hope, don't be afraid. The enemy has no power, has no mastery over us. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is now living and alive in us with we, we have power and authority over that? Friends, that is good news. Don't fear tomorrow. Tomorrow is one. Jesus still reigning and ruling and the devil still desperate and defeated. So yes, the devil is real. Yes, him and his army are out to get you. Yes, he is your enemy. And yes, God is so much greater. Because the one who is living in you is so much greater than the one in the world. Look, the hope is that if Satan is your enemy, then God is your friend. God is so much greater. And if he is for you, then who can be against you? And so that's the hope that we have, not in our victory, but in the victory of Jesus. And so we cling to that, we trust that, and it's just a matter of time. Because again, the enemy is already defeated by our King Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we are thankful for this day. We are thankful for for Jesus. Jesus, we are thankful that you are ruling and reigning right now, that you hold the victory in your hand. So Lord, give us encouragement. Holy Spirit, give us hope. May we know the freedom that we have or that we can have in Christ Jesus. Lord, give us that. Lord, nudge us. And if we feel just beaten up and broken down, Lord, may that just stir in us real hope. May that stir in us a desire to storm the gates of hell.
and to put our entire trust in you. So Jesus, we thank you. And it's in your name we pray.